Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today for our feature on Women in Parliament is Dr. Mimi Martha Gondwe, who represents the Democratic Alliance Party in Parliament and sits on the portfolio committees of Public Service and Administration and the Joint Constitutional Review Committee. South Africa is a democracy, and in democratic nations, Parliament plays a vital role. Parliament members are elected to represent the country's citizens and echo their voices. As such, parliamentarians and parliament are accountable to the nation's people. Every five years, the public cast their votes for their political party of choice to form a new parliament. And just echoing this sentiment a little further in the words of Chinua Achebe, who was a Nigerian novelist, poet and critic, he said, everybody counts in applying democracy. And there will never be a true democracy until every responsible and law-abiding adult in it, without regard to race, sex, color, or creed, has his or her own inalienable and unpurchasable voice in government. So with that said, welcome to the show, Dr. Gondwe. Good evening, Dr. Malka, and good evening to your listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure being on your show. To start the show, South Africa is a multi-party democracy. Currently, Parliament's National Assembly is composed of 14 political parties, with the Democratic Alliance being one of them. Serving in Parliament is a huge national responsibility where decisions impact the lives of approximately 60 million people. You didn't follow a traditional route to politics. Your first career was in the legal space, working at the University of Stellenbosch and acting as a candidate attorney at Weber Wenzel, which is one of South Africa's leading law firms. Please tell us what triggered the switch from law to politics. I often refer to myself as a reluctant politician because if you had told me that in 2022, I would be an MP out of said, no, not me. But I guess you kind of know within you, there's something you have to do. And, and as much as I tried to steer away from politics, you know, it eventually caught up with me. But just to tell you a bit about how I, I then veered into politics um, and to just explain my journey, my academic journey as well. So I have a BA in political philosophy from UCT, an LB from Rhodes and an LLM and an LD from Stellenbosch. I'd always known that I, I wanna make a difference in people's lives, but I hadn't thought that entering politics would be the vehicle that I would use. So. And at some point I pictured myself maybe working for an NGO or some organization that is all about empowering people and bettering their lives. Um, While I was studying for my PhD, I was a junior lecturer at, at Stellenbosch. And I was fortunate enough to get a number of scholarships. One of them was the Fulbright. And it enabled me to go and visit um, Cornell University, which is in Ithaca, in New York State, 
while I was there, I got exposed to another world completely. I mean, um, not only just American jurisprudence and American scholars, but I remember when we were at Ithaca, there was a society for African students and they would get all these prominent politicians to come through and speak to us. And so we had former presidents, um, really high profile African politicians. And I think that's when my ears sort of perked up and I kind of thought, okay. And I think that's when I started, you know, that feeling that I had to make a difference came back. Anyway, but to cut a long story short, then I worked at Parliament um, after finishing my PhD as a researcher and then as an advisor. And whilst working as an advisor, a number of MPs then approached me over the years. So I think it started from 2012 and I started working in 2011 where I would have MPs come to me and say, um, and these were primarily DA MPs, wouldn't you be interested in, in applying to be an MP? And in the DA, you apply. So it's not given to you on a silver platter. And then I think after a couple of years, and I think it was from 2012 until 2019, and every year I would say, no, it's not for me, it's not for me. But eventually, um, then I thought, I think it was turning 40, and I kind of thought, oh, maybe I should really give this a try. And then I applied, and the rest is history. And then I became a member of parliament. I can see how your sentiment of being a reluctant politician has <laughs> characterized your route to politics. It's so interesting looking at different vehicles to materialize ambitions. So one being in law, and we've just run a fantastic series on high court judges, and you can really hear the power of the law in terms of driving change and meaningful change for people. And then here's another vehicle of politics, which is also incredibly instrumental in its role of driving change for people. Based on your experiences, how do you think we can encourage more women to take up an active role in politics? If I was to say that it's important for women to play an active role in politics, that would be an understatement. It's necessary for women to play an active role in politics. Um, in South Africa, we constitute over half of the population. And um, a few months back, I attended an IEC presentation and they revealed to us that in the previous local government elections, um, the majority of voters were women. So I was happy to learn that, you know, women are active in terms of wanting to make choices about who governs them, etc. But I still feel that the role that women play is not always appreciated and is not always felt. As a case in point, you find that women in government are given soft portfolios. So like your social development, even the Department of Women and Children and Persons with Disabilities will be given to a woman. So there are certain portfolios that are given and then the hard portfolios like your economics. And of course, I must admit that we currently have a female Minister of Defense, but traditionally it's been given to men. And I've always said that women tend to exercise their authority and the power that's given to them in any role in a very different manner. They would bring in different values to men. So values such as compassion, such as empathy, and such as love and such as care, which are not really always associated with men. And so it's very important for women, you know, to play an active role in politics because 
the decisions that are taken at a political level, you find that women bear the brunt. And I'm talking about decisions around how the economy is run, et cetera. I mean, if you look at what we've been through in terms of the pandemic, it was women who bore the brunt. When you look at the burden of disease, it's women that bear that burden of disease. When you look at issues such as GBV, it's women that are at the receiving end of gender-based violence. So it's very important for them to play an active role and for their voices to be heard so that decisions that will better their lives can be taken and their voice around those decisions can be heard. So um, that's why it's important for women to be felt in the political space. Without women, um, I think very little will happen you know, in terms of development and other things we want to achieve as, as a country. It's certainly a tough job to be in. It's a balancing act of being able to incorporate as much diversity and hear all of the different voices, bring them into the mix, and yet you're trying to do something that is universal to serve the needs of the entire population. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and today we're talking to Dr. Mimi Gondwe, who represents the Democratic Alliance Party in Parliament and sits on the Portfolio Committees of Public Service and Administration and the Joint Constitutional Review Committee. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. It's also not a traditional nine-to-five job, so if you can please Tell us a little bit about, on a practical level, the tools that you implement to help navigate your work-life balance, career development. Um, Dr. Marka, you will know that even for us to schedule this interview, I had mentioned to you that I would be at home with my children and the lady that helps me would only be coming at around six. So I had to factor that in. And I'll speak from, from a personal perspective. Um, how I've managed to find that work-life balance as a working mother and as a woman is I've, I've got a very good support system in place. And, and it's a privilege to have that because there are a lot of women out there who do not have the support system that I have. In other words, they've got to try and make things work. Um, and I played very you know open cards in the beginning with the people that I report to in the DA in terms of indicating that I was you know, a mother and my kids remain my priority. So I feel very strongly about it, that I have to have time with my kids. I have to know what's happening in their lives. Um, because when you have children, I believe that you're responsible for who they ultimately become in life. And so it's very important for me that I raise responsible, productive, you know, individuals at the end of the day. So it's all about recognizing you know, the roles that you play as a woman and trying to balance all of that. It's not easy. I'll not lie to you because sometimes when you say you can't do something because you have, you know, family responsibilities that you have to see to, you will see that look of disapproval, should I say it that way? You know, especially our male counterparts who have the benefit of having a wife at home who can take care of, you know, the kids and cook and clean, etc. But you, you just do what you have to do and you tell yourself, you know, um, it's who I am. I can't change it. So, yeah. But women shouldn't be punished for their ability to have children, their ability for motherhood to nourish and nurture the future generation. This is a massive responsibility and we shouldn't be punished for it. 
But yet, sometimes we receive those disproving looks because you're not giving 110% in the yes. office, although you probably are giving 120% by working out of the office. And you don't have the luxury of having a wife to support you. It's a, it's a formalized system. It's so true. Uh, and that's where I think gender sensitivity has to come into play. And look, I want to just put it on record that I'm not saying that my party or anyone in the party is is unreasonable when I need to see to my children. No, they're very understanding. Um, but truth be told, you know, um, you sometimes will feel guilty about it as a woman. And, and that's where, you know, training around gender sensitivity um, has to come in and there has to be policies and I'm, and I'm, and and you know unfortunately sometimes i think our policies are also written in a very masculine way they don't recognize the fact that we have women and women from all walks of life remember we're not homogeneous and so that's where you know you, you'll have to to make sure that policies in place that recognize and allow women to play all these roles that they have to play and so yeah i i i think it's a bit unfair sometimes but i think that's where gender sensitivity comes in and and at a national level policies and legislation have to be crafted in a way that recognizes the role that women play. You have a extensive legal background but when I think about policies and frameworks yes we're talking about the necessity of having gender sensitivity training absolutely support it but I also think that sometimes in our legislative frameworks for instance think about paternity leave it's only recently, relatively recently, being extended from three days to nine days. If some of these dynamics, when you compare, for instance, in the Scandinavian countries, they have, I think, up to 12 months of paternity and maternity leave. So in a way, if our frameworks are not engineered in uh, a mechanism to provide equality, then we're still going to be perpetuating the cycle of rearing a child remains in the domain of women versus having that shared responsibility between two partners. You touched on your Nordic countries and, and what they've done around gender sensitivity. I had the pleasure of visiting Sweden a couple of years ago, and I was just blown away by how much they've done in terms of ensuring that men and women are equal. But you have to bear in mind that they start at a very young age in terms of inculcating in the boy child, you know, the important role that women play and inculcating the girl child, um, you know, who they can be. So I feel that it's not something you can start from the top um, and then expect that it will go down. It has to start from the bottom and then work its way up. So we have to start from an early age in terms of empowering the girl child and, and letting them know that there's nothing that they cannot be. As young women and young men grow up, they see each other as being equal. And you're right, we as a country are lagging behind. Um, like I said, it's got to start from an early age. And then, you know, even I think the budgeting as well has to also be gender sensitive because that's where I think we miss it big time in terms of where we put in a lot of money. Um, I think as a country, we really need to go back to the drawing board and ensure that we take best practice from your Nordic countries, your Sweden and your Norway, in terms of what they, how they've gotten it right. But a lot of people, um, I've heard arguments 
that have said, but you know, those countries have smaller populations and they have, you know, bigger money to use in terms of ensuring that there's gender parity and there's equality between men and women, etc. But I think that not everything requires money. It's it's a policy shift. It's it's a legislative shift. Um, it will take a mindset shift as well amongst male politicians being open to the fact that women need to come in and play a more pronounced role. Building on what you're saying, a lot of the elements seem to be about socialization. We're talking about starting things from the ground up. So educating children in the right way, that there is no difference in terms of gender when it comes to to capabilities. Because the reality is that As these inequalities keep persisting, and I look at things from an economic point of view, where from a contribution perspective that women still experience unequal pay, they still work in lower ranking roles, they still are underrepresented in management. And apart from trying to drive interventions through uh, policy, through socialization, the reality is that we still face these challenges now. So if you could give us your view, please, on what type of advice would be appropriate to help women and girls face gender challenges that they experience today in in the workplace, for instance, because they can't wait for policies to change. They can't wait for the next generation to be socialized correctly. You're asking me a a very difficult question, Dr. Malka, because I think that, you know, when you speak about the private sector, there has to be a change in the mindset and there has to be will as well. There has to be a drive that, that wants to see that kind of change happening. But I think something that can also help is education. The more women are educated, the more they're able to ensure that wherever they get, they make the changes that you know, they want to see and changes that will empower others like them. You and I were having a conversation earlier where we were talking about the importance of education, that without education, some of us would not be where we are, you know, right now. Look, you don't have control over where you are born. You could be born into a rich family, a poor family, in a rural area, in, a, in a, an urban area. And I'm speaking now for women that are in, and young women that are in, in rural areas, that education is very important for them because it allows them to make the right choices about um, where they want to be and what they want to do and where they want to go. Another you know, impediment, I think, to gender parity in South Africa is patriarchy. That's where culture comes in and, and there has to be a cultural shift. And I'm not saying we should deny our culture, but we have to understand that even in culture, women play a very pivotal role and are considered um, as important as men. Because we do have communities in South Africa that are led by women, women as chiefs, women as tribal leaders and the like. And so there also has to be a shift in terms of our mindset, especially as regards patriarchy and the role that it's played traditionally in society and continues to to play. Um, But education is very important because education really uh, emancipates somebody physically, uh, psychologically, it empowers you on another level and opens you up to so many possibilities. So I can never um, really stop stressing the importance of being educated as a woman. It will set you apart and ensure that you're able to make the right choices, et cetera. But we do know that 
for example, in rural areas, girl children sometimes are not able to go to school because their parents cannot afford or I've heard of instances where young girls are not able to go to school because they don't have things that you and I take for granted like sanitary pads. These are things that we, we have to try and address as governments to ensure that, look, thankfully education is free, but sometimes you find that the school is, is far away and that type of thing. And the parents cannot literally, you know, cannot literally afford to buy uniform and, and other things. So these are, these are issues that we have to try and address as government and, and hopefully even NGOs can come in because government alone cannot sort out some of the problems that we are experiencing. Some of those elements that you speak about, so thinking about the structural dynamics, yes, it's wonderful having access to something, something that's free, but if you can't physically get there, it doesn't, mm. it doesn't help you. If yeah. girls are going through their menstrual cycle and they don't have sanitary protection, they can't access. So all of these factors are, are inhibiting. And I know, yes, Scotland very, very small population. But one of the things that they've done is making sanitary wear free. And if you think about it, on average, you're probably out of school 25% of a year. Who would be able to ever catch up on three months of not being in school? So it just delays your progress. Mm, definitely, it does. It's, it's, it's quite disheartening to hear some of the experiences um, that girl children, especially in rural areas, have to go through. And that's where, um, you know, rural development becomes very important and um, making government accessible to people in those rural, in those remote areas. And that's why we have to make sure as government that we're reaching each and every place. And, and now I'm going to get into public service and administration. You know, um, that is the portfolio committee I, I sit on. You know, uh, public service is a calling. You have to care about people. And, and, and I think the type of public servants that we have, you know, have to be really looked at because I'm not really convinced that everybody in the public service is there for the right reasons. We to ensure that people have access to services. And if we still have malnutrition, for example, that means that there's something terribly wrong that we're doing. Our public service is there to ensure that they bring things to our attention as well. Because we assume that they are going out there to provide services. And so when they see that there is a problem, they should be coming back to us. And the only way that they're going to know what's happening and what's, what, you know, and, and what our people need is they are on the ground and they're in tune with what's happening on the ground. And I'm afraid to say that it's not always the case. And that's where we have to rectify that and ensure that the people that are working for government and providing services are able to meet the needs of the people and can preempt those needs sometimes. And this is the problem with, I think our country as a whole, we tend to be very reactive instead of being proactive in terms of issues. In other words, we deal with something when it happens, but we can't preempt, you know, uh, Dr. Malka recently, I, during a meeting, a public service meeting, I said, for instance, when we had the flooding in KZN, these are things that we should have known would happen. So why haven't we done enough in terms of capacitating our public servants? Climate change is here, it's, it's real, it's a fact. 
we really should be more strategic about where we're going and where the future's going, as opposed to filling in these stop gaps when a disaster happens. I mean, we're having this conversation and you're sitting in the dark because we don't have lights on and energy and power. And we're trying to find different interventions and methods that we can still keep going when these should be services that exist and are accessible. It's so true. And I think I said it earlier that um, it worries me that we are very um, reactive when it comes to issues and not proactive. And really, and I I just want to get back to climate change, that, you know, we have to really um, sensitize people around climate change and and the fact that it's it's here. You know, it started affecting our lives. I mean, I remember reading an article years ago that said that water, for example, would become a scarce resource at some point. And we're starting to see that happening, where you hear a municipality is on the verge of running out of water. So these are things that we should always bear in mind that we live in a world where change is happening and things are evolving, you know, time and again. And whatever happens in one country, no matter how far it is, it's bound to affect us as as well. You know, no country is an island. Absolutely right. We live in this connected ecosystem and We must also take into account, I think, yes, absolutely, government has to take ownership of what they're responsible for. But I do think that people, too, need to understand that resources are finite and should be taking more of a sustainable approach. If I reflect briefly on aspects like the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So there are all these elements in place that all parties have to come to the party, be it government, be it ordinary citizens, be it NGOs, be it corporates, that everyone has to work together. And to echo your sentiment of not having the silo mentality, but working collaboratively. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity. And today we're talking to Dr. Mimi Gondwe, who represents the Democratic Alliance Party in Parliament and sits on the portfolio committees of Public Service and Administration and the Joint Constitutional Review Committee. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Dr. Gondwe, as we move to the latter part of the show, one of the questions that I ask all my guests is, about what factors they consider to have contributed to their success. For instance, some people will speak about perseverance, hard work. Others will talk about values or a particular person in their life that has mentored their direction. So if you can please share with us, what would you say have been some of the key drivers to your success? Definitely, um, I think hard work determination. I'm determined to make a difference. And I don't always believe making a difference is changing the world per se, but just making a difference in one person's life. If I can just know that I've touched a life some way, or I've made a difference, or I've given someone hope, that is enough for me. Um, Education. Um, I, I think you heard me say earlier that education is very important. You educate a girl child, you educate a nation. Um, When women are educated, let me speak for myself here. 
it's not about me. It can't be about me. Um, I think at some point I, I said when I was getting my PhD, an announcement was made that I was the first African woman to get that PhD from the Department of Mercantile Law at Stellenbosch. It dawned on me that this cannot be about me. I had to go out there and make sure that I gave someone out there, another woman, hope that if I can do it, so can you. There's nothing that's impossible. As long as you put your mind to it and you put in the hard work, nothing comes easy in life. And just, just making a concerted effort to always do the right thing. And when you're given a task or a responsibility to see it through and give your best. And I'm telling you, that's all you can do. You do your best. And I'm telling you the rest uh, follows. And that's what I've done. I've always done my best. I've given my best. I was determined that I just didn't want a degree. I didn't just want to pass. I wanted a good degree because I know that if you have a good degree, then you will get into the right law firms. You have access to the right scholarships. I mean, I remember at one time the director of research calling me because I had five scholarships and they didn't know how I could benefit from all the scholarships because there were so many, but they all came through working hard and you will fail sometimes. And there are, I, I will not lie to you, uh, Dr. Marka, there are times where I didn't do so well, but when I then went back and went through my work, I'd see that, okay, fine. Um, this is where I went wrong. And even if you fall, you might get up. Don't give up. No matter how tough it, it gets, when you get that degree and know that you've done well, it is worth it. I think education has contributed a lot because I know with education, you will escape a lot of things in life. I know that education has saved me from a different sort of route. You know, I said to you, I said, you don't have a choice of where you are born and what kind of family you're born into. But one thing about life is that you, you always have a choice in terms of the course of action that you'll take and the route that you'll take. And that's why it's important for people to be empowered and be capacitated in terms of information, especially in rural areas. Um, girl children need to see more people that are educated and know that this is something that's also accessible to them so that tomorrow they can become somebody. And I say it again, if I could do it, if I could get a PhD, anybody else can do it. You just have to have that determination to say, this is where I want to be. And I've always planned wherever I get to, I always think, okay, what next after this? So always have a plan, a vision of where you see yourself and where you want to go. And of course, my values as well. Um, Dr. Malka, I was raised by a very strong woman. My mother is extremely hardworking and, and, and she taught me the value of education. I remember when we were growing up, when I was still at varsity and I'd come home for the school holidays and she'd always tell me, you're not going to sit at home. So I remember my first job that I had, I worked at Woolworths and I was packing food. I was in the food section and it taught me one thing. I think at that point I realized that every job is important and I got to really value other people and I got to see the importance of the work that they did and I learned so much from them. And so with everybody I meet, I always tell myself there's something to learn. And so I thank God for my mom because I resolved that I should always be busy with something, even on school holidays and be working somewhere and doing something and making my own pocket money, et cetera. 
cultivated me into this responsible young woman that I am. Well, not young, not so young anymore, but I still think I'm young at heart. <laughs> Thank you for walking us through your journey, sharing some of those factors of success from a personal point of view, be it determination, willpower, your mom and the values that you inherited from her and the drive for a solid work ethic. And importantly, that practical tool of education as being the the vehicle through which you're a springboard onto almost anything that you want to be. As we close out today's conversation, please, can you use this platform to share a few words of inspiration or motivation for women who were listening to the show today? I don't know who's listening to the show and what you do for a living or where you see yourself, what your vision for your life is, etc. But I want to tell you that there's nothing that you cannot do if you put your mind to it. Um, just keep believing in yourself. Yes, there are times where you will feel like giving up and you feel like you're not good enough, but just keep at it. Don't give up. And I want to talk now to, to girl children, you know, who are still in school, etc. Please take your education seriously. Study, give it your all, and the world will be your oyster. You know, um, if I can do it, so can you. Um, and so it's very important that as you progress in your journey, also remember to surround yourself with the right people, um, people that will be in your corner, that will believe in you, that will guide you. Be humble in whatever you do and be open to learning. You will learn every day of your life. If you're listening to me and you feel like giving up, don't give up. That seed that is planted in you has to germinate and you have to become somebody and hang on to your dreams. Do not let anyone put out that light in you. And if you are somewhere there in rural South Africa and you're thinking, will I ever get out of this? Um, situation that I find myself and you feel like you're in a hopeless situation you probably don't have electricity where you live you don't have running water and the like um, work hard so that you can come back one day and better the lives of others in your community and you can be a light and a hope for others work hard nothing is impossible and once you work hard at school and you do well etc you will attract um, good things. So you will attract uh, people who want to invest in your education. You will attract, um, you know, um, scholarships. Sometimes you don't even apply. They will be offered to you on the basis of the fact that you've done well academically. So um, please work hard at school. Education opens you up to so many possibilities. Just do your best in life. That's all you can do. And, and I hope you're encouraged by my story today. And um, remember, you are important. Um, we cannot make this country work without one another. I don't always have the answers. And so if you have an issue or you have an idea on how we can do things better, please get in touch with us. Um, we don't pretend to be uh, paragons of all wisdom and to know everything as leaders. Um, sometimes... The answer lies in your hands. And sometimes you can even um, give us a better understanding of 
what's happening. So please get involved, um, whether it's in your word structure, um, get involved. Um, you know, um, being a politician doesn't always mean that you politicize everything or being, a, you know, it means that for me, it means being an activist, meaning you take an interest in what's happening in your community and you make sure that you raise issues with the relevant authorities, with the relevant structures, so things can happen. Please um, do your bit in terms of ensuring that the country that we have is one that we can all be proud of and, and one in which everybody can play a positive role in. Great. Thank you for that important message. And we really appreciate you joining us today, sharing your insights and your thoughts from the legal spectrum to politics, to climate change, to public service administration, and importantly, education. Thank you so much, been a pleasure. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and we have been talking to Dr. Mimi Gondwe, who represents the Democratic Alliance Party in Parliament and sits on the Portfolio Committee of Public Service and Administration and the Joint Constitutional Review Committee.